Al Jazeera podcast. Hi, everyone. Malika here. September 30th marks International Podcast Day. And we're turning the mic on you, our listeners, so we can feature your voice on the show. We want to hear what you like about the take and why you listen. Head to this episode's description for a link to record a voice message with your answer, along with your name and where you're listening from. We'll be featuring those messages on our social media accounts and some of our episodes next week. And now, here's today's show. It's the biggest international diplomacy event of the year, when 193 countries, all the members of the United Nations General Assembly, gather in New York. It is a -a one-of-a-kind moment each year for leaders from every corner of the globe to not only assess the state of the world, but to act for the common good. But the gathering also has its critics. And to them, the UNGA, or UNGA, can sometimes be remembered as a rather uneventful event. At the United Nations, U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross had a hard time staying awake during President Trump's speech to the General Assembly. It was then President of Zimbabwe Robert Mugabe who couldn't keep his eyes open. Over the decades, though, there have certainly been some unforgettable moments. Like in 2009, when late Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi delivered a scathing speech that lasted nearly 100 minutes. On stage for 96 minutes, even ripping a page from the UN Charter, the translator reportedly fainted more than an hour into it. Or in 2017, when then-U.S. President Donald Trump delivered a fiery attack on North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Rocket man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. This week has had its own standout moments, like when the Israeli ambassador was swiftly escorted from the General Assembly Hall, or when the president of South Africa noted an obvious gender imbalance in the room. The majority of people who are sitting in this assembly are men. The question we have to ask, where are the women of the world? Today, the ins and the outs of UNGA 2023. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Mike Hanna. I'm a senior correspondent for Al Jazeera. I've been with the channel since its launch and have traveled in most parts of the world, but currently based in the United States. Thank you for coming back to The Take. So you have been in New York City covering the United Nations General Assembly. What do you call it? Do you call it UNGA or the UNGA? I think everybody calls it UNGA. Probably UNGA sounds better, but everybody calls it UNGA. (laughs) So we're going to go with what everyone does. This is the 78th session of UNGA, which hosts more than 140 leaders and state representatives from around the world. What more should we know about the significance of this event and why all of our listeners should care? Well, it is the one time in a year when all the world's leaders get together. Um, Whether that is a good thing or not, that's Mm -hmm. up to everybody to decide. Mm -hmm. But you do have everybody getting in the same room at the same time. And that in itself is important, I believe, that 
communication between different nations, different people is much better when it is face-to-face, when it is immediate. Mm -hmm. How many have you covered at this point? Oh, wow. Um, I I think more than 20. um, Oh, my gosh. So let's talk about the host. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has been talking about a fractured world, which has been a theme of his for a while now. And on Tuesday, he called it the Great Fracture. How did that fractured world play out in the debates or the discussions that you observed while you were there? Well, it it, it played out front and center. Let's just start off in the General Assembly. When Volodymyr Zelensky made his speech, there were a large number of empty seats. Hmm. Wow. The division was absolutely front and center. The division between Russia, the US, Ukraine. So every single thing that's happened demonstrates exactly what Guterres has been talking about, this massive splintering of the global universe and... There's nothing that, that, that is happening here at Unger that doesn't show that if people are divided on one particular element, they're going to be, that division's going to carry through on, on, on everyone. Okay, so let's talk about Ukraine. It was a key topic of discussion. And as you mentioned, we saw Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky speak at UN headquarters for the first time since Russia invaded Ukraine last year. And he spoke in English, which was notable. We must act united to defeat the aggressor and focus all our capabilities and energy on addressing these challenges. As nukes are restrained, likewise the aggressor must be restrained and all his tools and methods of war. And in a special meeting on Wednesday he brought up this idea of Security Council reform. What does that mean? What did he have to say? <laughs> His argument was one that uh, many have made in, 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 in over the last period of time. Uh, one must remember that in the Security Council, 15 members, there are five permanent members. Uh, the other 10 rotate across all the countries, but the five permanent members are there forever. And each of those five permanent members has a veto. In other words, if the Security Council votes on a matter and one of the five says they don't like it, then nothing happens. Now, that is something that has absolutely paralyzed the Security Council. The Security Council is one of the most fundamentally flawed bodies imaginable. Wow. So... What Zelensky was talking about was how can you hold Russia to account when it has a veto as one of the permanent members, so take away the veto. You know, it makes no sense Mm -hmm. to allow, as he sees it, one of the criminals to judge their own actions. Mm. So this is something that, that has been talked about for a long, long time, but it's never really gained any traction the Biden administration, for example, there, there, there's been whispers from them about, hey, let's get Security Council reform, let's get the veto going. And then all of a sudden, they remember how many times they've used the veto. Oh, Every wow. resolution bar one on Israel, for example, um, has been vetoed by the United States. So people can talk about Security Council reform, but 
those five permanent members are not going to give up their cushy positions very easily. <laughs> and the five permanent members are the U.S., the U.K., France, China, and Russia. If they gave up their veto power, what would the point of the Security Council be? Would there be a point? Oh, yes, because then you would have a clear democratic decision each matter that comes before the Security Council. Because mm. remembering that, say, you've got the five permanent members, you know, let's let them keep their permanent position. Mm-hmm. But then you have the 10 other seats, which are rotated through all the members of the United Nations. So it would be much more equitable. Countries would have their voice heard more loudly and their opinion would matter more. Coming up, why UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warns humanity has opened the gates to hell. That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast, we're discussing the future of Nagorno-Karabakh after the latest flare-up. We'll be asking whether Azerbaijan will ever have full control of the region. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Mike, as with any gathering of strangers and friends, inevitably the weather comes up. (laughs) And this year's convening is coming after a summer of extreme weather. So we have heat waves, deadly wildfires, and of course these devastating floods we've recently seen. The climate crisis and the UN Sustainable Development Goals were very much on the agenda this year. We saw tens of thousands of protesters march in New York just a few days ahead of UNGA. And Guterres invited countries to a special climate summit where he said... Humanity has opened the gates of hell. Horrendous heat is having horrendous effects. Really strong words there. And that's a critique on the failure of climate action. What else did we hear from these discussions on the climate? Well, honestly, very little. The whole discussion appears to be locked down in a way. It is, it, it is stuck in something that is all based on good intention rather than on good action. And that is the major issue. And many delegates here are well aware of that, is that they're going through the pro formos, the rituals, but you're not seeing anything coming out at the other end. Mm. And that is something that Guterres has been desperately trying to address. Um, It's something that the President of the United States, Joe Biden, says that he's absolutely intent on addressing, and yet... You see there a, a double-stepping. I mean, many of the protesters pointing out to President Biden kind of opening up drilling in areas where there was not drilling before, mm-hmm. for example, while maintaining that he's a green energy. The, the Sustainable Development Goals, for example, that was introduced in 2015, the idea by 2030 to bring the last person forward to eradicate hunger, poverty, mm-hmm. uh, gender inequality. So it's no wonder that people get cynical about it because you have all these wonderful expressions like in 2015, wow, we are going to address all these issues and by 2030, the world's going to be a happy place. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Only some 15% of targets are on track to be reached by 2030. And some 37% have either seen no movement or regressed below the 2015 baseline. And... Every time it doesn't work, 
you get an added layer of cynicism, yeah. uh, which makes the achievement of your goals so much more difficult. Were there any other speeches or sideline events that stood out to you from this week? Yes, I, I think the Italian Prime Minister's speech was utterly startling, uh, Giorgio Maloney, for one simple reason, is that one writer actually put it like, she's at a chessboard and she's moving pieces all over the place. The, the Queen's Gambit. Hmm. What she did in her speech was linked immigration to climate change, to political oppression, and put it all together in one basket and expressing that Italy, for example, is one of the countries that faces the consequences of all these factors. Mm -hmm. So she outlined very clearly a position that immigration is results from criminal enterprise, as she puts it. She sees the uh, criminality as, as, as an underpinning immigration. But then she sees another factor, and that is things like climate change in African countries driving the move to immigration. Poverty, she sees as a moving factor. Italy's attention is particularly focused on Africa, where nations already beleaguered by long periods of drought and by the effects of climate change are now faced with a situation compounded by food insecurity, making them more vulnerable to instability and easier prey for terrorism and fundamentalism. And this is a choice to create chaos and spread. So she spoke on Wednesday, and I recall the headlines after her speech were really striking. So um, I think she had a quote at one point that said that she wanted to lead efforts against the, quote, slave traders of the third millennium. And she's talking about human traffickers. She said that the UN needs to launch a global war without mercy against these smugglers. Did her speech contrast with dare I say, more boring speeches, or is this the norm? Is the point to, to shock and, <laughs> and awe people into paying attention? No, I, I think, yes. I, I mean, I think there is a, <laughs> they would see a value to, to shock and awe. I think she wanted to get things talked about. Uh, she's done that through her political career. She, she's been outrageously right-wing in many ways and uses issues to garner attention. So it's not surprising that, that she does it at the United Nations as well. What was surprising is how efficiently and how effective and how well-structured what she said was. Final question here. So critics of the UN General Assembly often call it a pointless debate among world leaders or a space for posturing on a world stage that rarely results in change. We were just talking about this when it comes to climate change. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has said as much during a news conference last week in which he said, This is not the time for posturing or positioning. This is not the time for indifference or indecision. This is the time to come together for real practical solutions. Would you say that anything that came out of this week, any of the speeches, any of the sideline conversations, fit that narrative that practical solutions are possible? In short, no. The 
Posturing is not just a temporary thing, but posturing is actually a state of play. The intent is all there, the good intentions, the commitment, the professions of honesty. And yet, very little tangible emerges. Perhaps, to be most charitable, what, what happens is that at least it keeps debates alive. Mm. At least it keeps alive the issues surrounding climate change, for example. At least it keeps alive the issues surrounding naked aggression between nations. At least it keeps alive the notion that poverty in so many places of the world simply should not be. And it keeps alive the ideas that disparity is unjust. But it doesn't do anything to address these issues. And that is that is the issue, and that is part of the frustration. But the one thing you cannot say is, I do not know what the issue is. And that is the most important thing that happens at the United Nations. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Miranda Lynn, with Chloe K. Lee, David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Bazar, Amy Walters, Sari Al-Khalili, Berenice Campana, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Nate Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>